Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, it's Election Day in Ontario, and Doug Ford appears to be headed for another majority government. Now I know, like you know, that there are many of our neighbours, many people that we know, who in these last few hours are still giving consideration to what the best option is. The Bank of Canada hikes its key interest rate for the second time in a row. On top of tax increases that came on April 1st, we're now seeing interest rates rise, which will cost Canadians more. But this Prime Minister continues to deny the reality. Why won't he take some responsibility and do something to reduce the cost of food, gas and housing? And the travel and tourism sector calls for an end to COVID-19 border measures. We did our part to keep Canadians safe. And now it is finally our turn to recover. Travel is back with a vengeance and we could not be happier. But the passenger experience at our Canadian airports is a challenge. It's Thursday, June 2nd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. It's election day in Ontario, and uh, there's widespread expectation that Doug Ford is going to win another term as Premier of Ontario and and probably a majority government. That seems to be what the polls indicate and what all of the observers are predicting. So uh, what do you think that means? Why has Doug Ford been successful in this election campaign? Why is he likely to get a second term? Well, I think that majority governments by and large, unless they really screw things up, uh, the voters are minded to give them a second term. And, you know, the the opposition leaders have been pretty uninspired and peddling this line that the public is done with Doug. And for whatever reason, the public does not appear to be done with Doug. I think that they've run a... PCs have run a pretty good campaign. They've kept Mr Ford pretty much in a bubble. I mean, he is, uh, he has been pretty disciplined and focused and talking about the things that are aligned with what voters are interested in. And that coming out of COVID has been um, jobs, affordability, what he calls attainable housing. I mean, they're still interested in the pandemic and the environment. But I think, you know, while they may not know the exact numbers, they, they appreciate that um, you know, there were 13,000 plus deaths in the province, but that was a much better performance than many other places. It was below the Canadian average, and deaths per 100,000 were running at almost half of what they were in Quebec. It's, it's kind of inexplicable to me why Francois Legault in Quebec is still as popular as he is because Quebec did not have a good pandemic. Ontario, by contrast, I think the people knew that uh, that Ford cared that he tried his hardest that he didn't always get it right but uh, but they didn't penalize him for that and they certainly uh, even the Stephen del Duca from the Liberal Party and on Andrea Horbach of the Liberals of the sorry of the NDP have not really tried to relitigate the whole pandemic they've been critical of particular things uh, long-term care homes um, for profit long-term care homes in particular and uh, a little bit about uh, limiting pay for nurses, that kind of resonated at one point. But by and large, the province seems to be minded to give the interior PCs another chance. And yeah. in fact, it may even have a stronger uh, performance this time than they did last time. 
What do you think that means, John, more broadly in Canadian politics? Obviously, uh, there uh, once again, as has been the case almost throughout uh, the entire history of Canada since Confederation, there's going to be uh, the opposite party in power at Queen's Park uh, compared to on Parliament Hill. Uh, that's been the pattern. Uh, so that's not a big surprise. Uh, there's There's evidence that Doug Ford and the Trudeau government actually worked pretty well together um, on some important files. Um, so I'm not sure it, it, that means a whole lot. Um, what Are there any implications for Canadian politics? Are there implications for the Conservatives? Doug Ford has found a way to win in Ontario, which the federal Conservatives have not in several right. elections now. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's the, the, the real interesting part of it for, from a federal point of view. You know, the Liberals and the NDP, they're these scattergun, high-spending platforms with flashy commitments like uh, Stephen Del Duca's $1 transit fare. But their proposals to grow the economy were pretty conspicuous by their absence. Uh, you know, the Liberals in their economic section were focused on sick days and a four-day week rather than on building things. And a lot of the um, conser- progressive conservative support is coming from the 905, the suburban belt around, around Toronto. And he's promised to build highways to connect Brampton, for example. The other parties were protesting these highways. They say they'll cancel them. You know, I think that, that, that Fall was much more, it looks like he's much more aligned with um, voters than than the other two parties. And I think that that is a, a, a particular lesson for the federal Conservatives. You know, his commitment to building new infrastructure, he's created this almost a new electoral coalition. The PCs have never had the support of unions before. In fact, they were, they were essentially... Uh, kept out of office by a, a thing called the Working Families Coalition, which was a uh, largely union-based third party voting against PCs in about three or four elections. In this election, the PCs have been endorsed by about eight or nine private sector unions, which have funded, uh, you know, they've the people who were put, essentially putting up lawn signs for the NDP in past elections are now putting up lawn signs for the Conservatives. And I think that's got a potential long-term implication for... Ontario politics, and even for uh, for uh, for the federal politics, and as was put to me by one of Ford's advisors, if you drive an F one fifty, you wear steel toe cap boots, and you wear a poppy on Remembrance Day, is the NDP or even the Liberals your party? Uh, he said, I don't think so. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's turn to interest rates in Canada. They were raised again yesterday by the Bank of Canada, and uh, for anybody who's borrowing money, that obviously represents a cost uh, for businesses. It's it's going to mean further costs, and, and they'll pass those costs on to customers, no doubt. Um, there, there's obviously the practical implications of all of this, and then the political implications. Um, conservatives have been critical of Justin Trudeau's government and how it has handled fiscal policy and, and how it, it has caused, in their view, inflation. So what do you think uh, the implications of this are? Well, I mean, this is a, a pretty major hike. This is another half-point hike on top of a half-point hike, and every indication is that there are more to come. So it's uh, it's it's a pretty steep path of higher interest rates. You know, at the same time, I think if you're trying to get a five-year uh, fixed mortgage at the moment, you'll still find it's you know somewhere around 4.5%, whereas the average for the last 25 years has been at least a point higher than that. So, you know, we're not even back at historic levels yet. So yeah. it's, it's um, people have been in a sort of fool's paradise for two or three years. 
I mean, I've so, I saw comments in some of the stories saying, you know, if only I'd known that rates were going to go like this, I wouldn't have fixed, you know, I wouldn't have uh, uh, gone into a, va- uh, a variable mortgage or I wouldn't yeah. have taken out such a big mortgage. Or Well, if you, if you were foolish enough to take out more than you could possibly afford based on the interest rates of the last couple of years, then it's on you because this was always going to happen. I think the surprise is that it's happening so quickly and that's in part because the recovery was much quicker than many central banks around the world, not just the Bank of Canada, had anticipated. I think in hindsight, a lot of people are now wise after the event saying that the banks should have put up interest rates last year. And, you know, clearly they should have done because we're, we're at inflation in April of 6.8%. It looks like it'll go higher again before it comes down. So it's it's pretty uh, you know we're gonna it's gonna be a, a huge the combination of high inflation and higher interest rates is gonna cost people a lot of money and obviously people are not happy and we've got populist politicians pointing the finger at uh, governments and bank governors for for uh, making bad decisions you know I think a lot of these are bad decisions in the rearview mirror I think some of them are. are Fair criticism. I, I do think that the, the federal government, for political reasons, was way too generous in many of its benefits over uh, in the, the latter period of, of the pandemic. Right. But it's uh, you know it's going to be painful, and uh, the, the only hope is that uh, that it has the desired effect and starts bringing interest rate, uh, bringing inflation back into the the two to three percent uh, band that the bank wants it to be in. And we're already seeing some evidence of that because house prices are starting to moderate and will probably fall as these interest rates bite. All right. Finally, John, uh, there continues to be reaction to uh, the decision to extend the travel restrictions um, on Canadians. They there there's been some criticism uh, from people saying they're not necessary. They should be ended now. Um, what do you think's been at play here, and what are your what are your observations about that decision and the reaction to it over the last couple of days? Well, the government's line is that they follow the science. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. I think this uh, the vaccine mandate has been a successful wedge for the government. And they seem intent on maintaining it. I mean, other jurisdictions are are facing uh, problems at airports. I mean, you know, in Dublin over the weekend, a thousand people missed their flights because of staff shortages at Dublin Airport. Similarly, at in the UK, Heathrow, and even yesterday, Manchester was was in chaos. But both of those countries have ended their requirements at airports, which are proving to be a huge problem in Canada the smooth flow of passengers. Um, you know, some of the stats from, from April and May, uh, at, let's say uh, Pearson Airport, 2,200 planes in April sat in the tarmac for a period of time. In one week, 18,000 arriving passengers were held on board for longer than 30 minutes, 3,000 for longer than 75 minutes. Flights are getting cancelled all over the place. Today, uh, Yesterday, there were flights cancelled because of not enough air traffic controllers, there aren't enough security guards, there aren't enough border services agents, and people are taking much more time to go through immigration because they have to fill in the Arrive Canada app, they have to take, still take random tests, and the data does not appear to suggest that this is justifiable. When I looked at COVID stats earlier in the week, the number of hospital beds occupied by COVID patients had fallen by 15% in the previous week, there were fewer than a 1,000 cases officially in the country, and just one person had died. 
I think Canadians want these restrictions gone, and I am amazed that the government has not seen fit to lift them in, in June when we, we're entering tourist season. Ironically, this week is officially tourist week in Canada. Hmm. All right, great points, John. Good to talk to you again. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. The Liberals made it seem yet again like they're taking real action to keep communities safe, when in fact that is not the case. This is another failed opportunity to address a very serious issue in Canada. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, the Trudeau government is getting it right on gun control. The Star writes, the Trudeau government goes a common argument is taking advantage of public outrage over mass shootings in the United States to push more gun control measures in Canada. But if it takes a jolt of outrage to get the government to act on gun violence, then so be it. It will take much more than what the government has proposed to address the kind of gun violence plaguing the streets of some cities, but that is no reason to oppose what they are trying to do with this latest effort. Nor is the undeniable fact that the government is willing to surf on public emotions generated by events in another country with very different laws. In the Montreal Gazette, Emily Nicholas considers who the spotlight is on when it comes to gun violence in Canada. Nicholas writes... Canadians who like to play backseat drivers for Americans on gun violence call out Republicans. They go after the NRA. They see where power is and focus their criticism there. In Canada, the focus tends to be on one aspect of all the different types of gun violence, incidents involving black youth. The rest is barely a headline. Where is the in-depth analysis of the people ultimately responsible for putting guns on Canadian streets? Do we analyze how they operate? Or do we prefer to only ask these questions of those who ultimately are the smallest of all players in the gun industry? In the conversation, Max Fawcett argues Doug Ford lowered Ontario's expectations. Fawcett writes, For most people, the last two-plus years of the COVID-19 pandemic are ones they'd just as soon forget. As it turns out, they've also been a gift for Doug Ford. In the process of trying to forget the pandemic, the public seems to have also forgotten who Ford was going into it. Now he's emerged with the new political image of a kind and empathetic leader who's helped the province weather a difficult storm. That collective amnesia looks like it will propel him to an easy re-election win. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will take part in a signing ceremony and media conference in Siksika, Alberta along with Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will have meetings with the U.S. Treasury Secretary and the National Economic Council Director in Washington. She will also attend the 68th Bilderberg Meeting, an annual conference fostering dialogue between Europe and North America. And Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie will meet with her counterparts from Estonia, Lithuania and Latvia in Quebec City. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, June the 2nd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.